This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. It's June. Summer's coming. Vacations are on the way. So guess what we're doing, Paul? We're going to Hawaii. Only if you rented a condo, I can crash on the floor. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. <laughs> it's time to go wine tasting, and we're going to give some crucial tips. So no Hawaii this time, huh? Not today. I'm Rick Cushman. I'm disappointed. I'm Paul Wagner. <laughs> Understandable, but this is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Today we have some tips for beginners and for longtime wine fans to make your wine tasting trip even more fun. We'll have some questions from listeners about tasting room behavior. We'll hear from St. Supri Winery CEO Emma Swain. And as usual, we will make fun of wine snobs. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and today we're going to help people have a good time going wine tasting. Rick, I don't think you need to help people have a good time going wine tasting. Going wine tasting is a good time. This is true. Let's call it a better time. Okay. We can enhance... We are going to improve the time you have. We are. We're going to enhance your fun. I think our new job <laughs> title is going to be called Fun Enhancers. That's us. Excellent plan. And, you know, the thing is we get this question a lot. It's something along the lines of, I'm going wine tasting. What do, what I, do, I, do? I need to know? Which is funny because wineries are all set up with the idea that they're helping people learn about wine, helping people explore wine. So you'd think that it would be pretty easy to walk in the door and just kind of say to the winery, give me your best shot. Well, you know, there are people out there we made fun of, and I still remember them, was uh, Winery Malaysia was the website. And it was how you had to bone up and read all kinds of things before you went to a— Practice just practice. Yes. Yeah, the only practicing you need to practice is not dropping your glass because that's the thing. Actually, I disagree. I think you should practice. Spitting. Well, that's true, and we'll get to that. But in general, <laughs> I'm practicing spitting right now. Yes. Right? Lots of people practice <laughs> spitting. Uh, sort of, it's a reflex when they hear us. <laughs> um, all right, but we do think that some of th- these things can help. And you know, my first tip is always a simple one: it's bring a cooler. Bring a cooler. Especially in the summer. Ah, uh, yeah, okay, to store the wine that you buy. Yeah, because it's going to happen. You're going to buy something, and then you're going to drive to the next place, and your car is yep. going to sit. Even if it's sitting in, in the shade, it's 75, 80 degrees. And if it's sitting in the sun, it's like 175, and 80 degrees. And it can be pretty darn hot in the sun. So, yeah. Don't forget, we're California in summertime. It can be 100 degrees in the Napa Valley. Oh, yeah. And then you get inside that car, mm. you will just take your wine and— you, it'll get hot enough, the wine will expand and push the cork out of the bottle. Simply destroy your wine or lose your wine and get red wine if you got red or any wine all over your car. You know, And if you're out roaming around and you've forgotten the cooler, just they're five bucks, a CVC pharmacy or a supermarket or you name it. You know, yep. Run in, run out. It's, Cooler's it's, a good idea. You know, yeah. I actually have a really nice blanket in the back of my car, and I have been known to go back there and— Take a nap? <laughs> let the bottles take a nap uh, in the blanket. Uh, Wrap those bottles up in the blanket, and they will stay a little cooler that way, too. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. But yeah. the cooler's a good idea. I'm going to get to speeding in a second because we're going to talk about sort of this, the overall notion. But mm-hmm. So one of the things that is always a question— is do you plan, do you not plan? Do you just go by the seat of your pants and pull over on places that, that look good, or do you uh, do you drop your plan? Well, I plan because I'm in the business. So I know I've taught over a 1,000 students at Napa Valley College, so when I go wine tasting, I pretty much know where some of them work, 
And it's always nice to walk in and know somebody behind the bar. That makes a huge difference. True. But even if I'm going somewhere else, I'll start with a place that's a good general introduction to the region, and then I'll start poking around at the littler places to see what things are different. I think that's a good combination to sort of get a basic understanding of the thing, go to a relatively famous winery in the region. It is interesting, the surveys I've shown of people who, and I realize, Rick, you're the survey guy, not me. I love my surveys. But I have actually seen surveys of people when they go wine tasting, and they do tend to pull in the driveways of wineries whose names they recognize. Yes. Well, you know, I always say this, find one place that you do want to go, and Mm -hmm. that would be Mm -hmm. the place to take a tour. You know, one tour is going to do it for you. You know, after a while, they're just all these giant metal tanks. Barrels are barrels. Yeah. But but once is fun and get into it and walk in in them, walk you through the vineyards a little bit and, you know, and and you'll kind of get grounded. So this gets back to also not having to prepare at all or at least know anything at all because they'll sort of give you a real basis. They'll give you the background. And you know the thing I like, if you're visiting a region for a second time, Keep that one place that you really enjoyed. Go there first. You know, you may have visited two, three, four wineries the first time. Pick the one you liked the best. Go back there. Because, first of all, you know you're going to have a pretty good time because you liked it last time. And then ask the people behind the bar, hey, we really liked visiting this place the last time we were here. Yes. What do you recommend? And now you're kind of getting the insider's view of where you should visit. It works pretty well. Yeah, and actually, it, depending where you go, places like Napa and Sonoma, where they charge a, a decent amount for uh, for tasting, often and sometimes have, an indecent amount. Yeah, well, it, usually it is an indecent amount, right? They'll often have coupons for a sister winery or an arrangement right. or something, so you can save a couple of bucks that way too. But if not, you're always sort of getting the locals' view of what a place. That's somebody who knows the, the territory, and the, and they well, you can say what do you like. All, They've watched you taste. They know what you like. Oh, you really like our Chardonnay? Well, you know who else you ought to go visit. Now you're getting – it's really like working with a good sommelier. It's true. That's sort of the almost if any place because they're the folks that if you decide you want to have lunch, I think it's always a good idea if you're doing tasting. I was going to say lunch. you do want to have lunch. You do want to have lunch. However, my approach is, and this is where that cooler will be a, a sure hit, is bring a lunch. Uh huh. So yes. now you got the cooler anyway. Yep. But you know, you're in wine country. It's always such a good deal. I mean, it just, just feels fun to have a every single one of them has almost every single one of them has some kind of an accommodation. They don't. They'll certainly know who will. And don't overlook, there are some very nice parks. Oh, yeah. um, state parks, county parks, where you can picnic as well that are pretty nice. Yeah, or just up on a hill, off the road, all sorts of things. Uh, if you do deal at a winery, generally they will ask that you buy a bottle of wine. But right. But you have a lunch, you want a bottle of wine. Y- yes. Often they will uncork it for you and, and let you borrow glasses. Yep. So that's that's always yep. very nice. Yeah. Yep. So, so what for your food and wine pairing, what kind of lunch do you take when you go on wine tasting, Rick? Well, there's all kinds of lunches. I'll we, bet you don't bring tuna salad sandwiches. Probably not a tuna salad. You want? Yeah, we actually are going to. <laughs> we are going to for our food and wine pairing at the end of the show. We're going to go, you know, talk about sort of this, this, the, you know, because I'm always doing these things. I looked at one of the surveys on the most popular sandwiches in America. I um, see. But yeah, you probably want something. Now you do have to go a little backwards, don't you? You have to sort of think about what's going to go. Drinking wine. What's going to go? You know, wine. the classic. The classic. Whether you're in Italy or France, would be pate. Uh, salami, cheese, bread, beautiful person of the opposite sex, a little fruit, a little chocolate. Or the same sex if that's how you roll. A pillow. 
a yeah. pillow, yeah. maybe a blanket. Yeah. You know, uh, well, and I think you also need a, a, a basket with a little frilly. Uh, and, a hamper. Yes. No, yeah, that's, a it, picnic I've, hamper. And a gingham dress to go with it. No, you don't. Do <laughs> and you Rick, may I say, that. you look lovely I in do, gingham. I think so, especially in blue. Me and Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. Um, so, but that, that is something to think about. And, and, and certainly if you, you know, whatever, whether it's, I mean, it's a fun time to sort of experiment with a lot, what the foods that are, that are going to, pair with one of the wines too so if yep. you bring sort of yep. a deli with you you know just yeah put, put it all together snacks so there's another piece of this which is of course what happens when you go into the tasting rooms and that that gets back to this idea of whether you're supposed to know anything and the answer is of course not but there good is good for us huh thank good goodness i'm telling you <laughs> but there is something you can do which is ask questions right and it's right it's sort of the way to go rule number one just ask as many questions as you can yeah yeah, and and uh, you know, as, as someone, I train people who work in tasting rooms. I teach a lot, and I will always tell you, anytime somebody asks a question, there are at least three other people in the room who are wondering the same thing right. and didn't have the guts to ask right. the question. Yeah, and don't do not worry. And this is this is where it gets. You know, we've talked about this a lot. You know, do not worry about embarrassing yourself. There's not you're, you're not embarrassed. Rick doesn't exactly right. I go through life like this. <laughs> I was gonna say, if, if you're looking for somebody who's asked a dumber question in the in the tasting room. It's probably had been was me at some point. So yeah. Well, so. I have. I do know. I I was working at a winery one day when someone came to me and looked out over the entire Napa Valley covered with grapevines, and asked me the question, "What are all those little bushes out there?" <laughs> So there's somebody who, I mean, that's a pretty basic question. And well, I was able to tell them that those are grapevines. That's what we make the wine out of. Chicory, you know, or there something. There you go. Just, but it, 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 trust me, the tour, the, the people working on the other side of the counter, they have heard every question they have, and, more. and I, I was in, t- you know, we get this question. I was in a tasting room where somebody was asking, so you're saying there's peach. Do you, do you put peach juice right. into the wine? Totally you put fair. stuff if in the you wine. Don't know that. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, mm-hmm. It's not a it's not a moral failing to not be an expert in something unless right. unless it's baseball. Then you're actually. Supposed to and know. and are you baseball. an expert in anything, Rick? Baseball. Baseball. Yeah, the, okay. The Giants. Well, that's about it. Um, <laughs> and uh, but uh, you know, and we that should is... have a baseball and wine pairing here. <laughs> yes. Well, it's that with that with a with a baseball. I I recommend a Cabernet. It's a, um, <laughs> You know, the other part of it, too, though, is that actually when you ask questions, you, you'll end up kind of making friends with the people behind the counter. And they're yes. all, and remember what they're there for. They're there so that you will like their wines. Right. And if That's you right. if you show interest in them and their wines, they'll probably reach down and pour something from underneath the counter that's something interesting and, that's what you've been doing. It'll extend your tasting. So you can yep. really taste them. You yep. get to taste a lot more things. And and the thing that I have found is when you ask questions, you will not only make friends with the person behind the counter, you will often find that other customers in the tasting room will connect with you because you're actually having a conversation. A lot of people in these tasting rooms are intimidated. The fact that you ask a question, I can't tell you the number of times I've been working in a tasting room, someone asked me a question, and the person next to them turned over they'd never met before and said, you know, I've always wanted to ask that question. And I thought, this is perfect. Now we get to talk to more people about the same thing. Who knows? They could get married. There you go. You know? You could be responsible for a— That's right. Uh, matchmaker, matchmaker. There you go. Forget food and wine pairing. We're doing tourist pairing. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and, and you know, speaking of, of planning, um, going backwards a little bit, there are a couple of places <laughs> where, where planning matters in, in sort of in your route. If you're going—if you're tasting um, places like 
uh, say Lodi, the foothills, or Mendocino County. It's kind of one road straight through. You don't really have to, you know, you're going to find a lot of those. But you get to places like Napa that gets busy, mm-hmm. or Paso Robles, which has, you know, you can choose your road sort of. Right. You, you want to go left, you know, east or west. Yep. Um, and so, so so sometimes one of the things to do, that's when, you know, ask is when you're asking the folks in the tasting room for help. One of the tips for Napa is because now, especially on the weekend, Napa gets busy. Yes, it does. So two two things to know. One, don't try to make a left turn out of a driveway into traffic. <laughs> That's right. So you plan your trip so you don't make a left turn See? out of a dry, driveway. Yeah. But here's the other thing that you do. that people Most people are coming into the valley from the south. Right. So if you're going on a busy weekend or a busy day, yep. drive up north, yep. start north, yep. move south. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good rule no matter where you visit to go to the furthest winery first. The furthest one you want to yes. visit. And then, and then work your way back, yeah. and you will discover. Besides, the people at that winery, remember that pe- everybody drives in Napa, for example, from the south to the north. Walk into Sterling Vineyards at 1030 in the morning yeah, up there in Calistoga. It's em- you've got the place to yourself. They will treat you like a king. Show up at 4 in the afternoon, and it's jam-packed. And Carnelis is exactly the opposite. Carnelis right. is, is, you know, with the exception of the one or two big places, it's completely empty at, yep. the, at the end of a Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You know, when I go wine tasting, often they make me go to the far end of the taste room and They taste put you down myself. at the end of the bar. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, do. actually what they tell you is that special bar just outside, they say, right? Yes, they stay there, they say. <laughs> maybe we'll come talk to you. Yes. So, but there is also something else that people ought to be aware of. And now, now we were talking about what you were saying earlier, which is spitting. And, yep. you know, or it's the designated driver. Who's for, driving? Yeah, who's driving, who's... And, you know, spitting, it's uh, it's 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 what the pros do because um, they drink like fish afterwards. But, right. uh, but when they're driving, and it's not a hard thing to do, and it does not take away from... from practice the, in the bathtub right, right. or the swimming pool. Yes. Well, spitting your wine into the pool wouldn't be such no, a good no, idea. No, no, you just, just practice with water. water. Yes. But the idea... In fact, when I teach my wine classes, I give everybody a one-liter bottle of water, and I say, let's go out in the parking lot. And I insist that they just practice spitting the water out so they don't dribble it all down their front. You know, and I, I've told you this in the past. Now that we're in drought, I think you should make them stand on the lawn. You know, that's a good point. Yeah, it's, that's, that's a good point. Or use recycled water. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, but it's, and it really doesn't take much. All you do as a person is just reach over and lean over into the the, the spit bucket near you. But if you want, they'll every tasting room on the planet will give you some kind of a cup. Yes, a little so, cup. Yeah. And for those of you who are a little worried about spitting a thin, narrow stream into the spittoon, if they give you a little spitty cup, you can just dribble it down off the front of your lip. That's what I do. Same thing. Mm-hmm. You still, somebody needs to stay sober. And the other thing, of course, is while you are tasting wine and spitting, particularly the designated driver, but I'm going to argue that everybody should be drinking as much water as they are drinking wine. Always a good idea. Absolutely. Um, and I would also argue, uh, if you're going to be wine tasting, is wear dark colors. I see. Well, you wouldn't have to argue with me because yeah. I don't think I'd disagree with yeah, you on that one. Bring, yeah. bring, uh, the white linen suit is not suit. a good it thing is, to— yeah. Plus, even if you are enormously careful— The on, guy behind right, you. The guy behind you, are, you who isn't is spitting? The, 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 you can see <laughs> the wine slowly spiraling across the room. <laughs> to get you. All right, we uh, have a whole lot of questions that, uh, that involve this, so we're going to uh, move to our question box, as oh, we good. call it. Okay. Um, later on, we're going to even talk to Emma Swain, the CEO of Napa Valley yes. Super Winery, about um, one of the other her suggestions, which is the way to compare wines when you're mm-hmm. when you're there. Good. This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Next up, questions. Stay with us.
You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and it is time to get into our question bag. If you'd like to ask us a question, go to rickandpaulwine.com, all one word, rickandpaulwine, then dot, then com, and look for us on iTunes. You can subscribe for free, one little itty-bitty click. If Quick you're click. new to us and you might want to know what qualifies us to give you tips on wine tasting. Well, we taste a lot of wine. We do indeed. And that's enough. And I have broken a few tasting room glasses, my friend. Have you? I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> yes. It was so other wineries. <laughs> uh, but against all odds, Paul is a respected industry pro, and he, he answers questions on all experts. He teaches at Napa Valley College, as he mentioned, and at the College Institute of America and around the world. And Rick wrote a, one of the best-selling books on wine, a New York Times bestseller about the, the business of wine, longtime journalist, wine commentator on Capital Public Radio, and a tasting room veteran. That's true. I've spent my time in tasting rooms. You've even consulted with tasting rooms. I have not? indeed. Uh-huh. I have told them how to deal with and guys they're like still me. Still in business. It's amazing. It is <laughs> the things the things wineries can survive. <laughs> All right. Our first question comes from Virginia Wong. Uh, she just said East Bay, which is Good. Sacramento Bay okay. area. I mean the San Francisco Bay area. If you're not from really, yeah, yep. California, she says we brought a lunch and had a picnic at winery name removed so we don't get sued. Oh, that winery. Yeah. We bought a bottle of wine, and they even opened it for us and let us use glasses. Nice. As we were saying. Very nice. My friend's boyfriend opened a bottle. We got it at a different place. We all told him not to, but he didn't listen, as usual. Are there rules on that? If there are rules, often the winery will post those rules, and it will say, please, we encourage you to enjoy our picnic area, but please enjoy only our wines on the picnic area. Generally, if you buy some wine at the winery, they won't have a problem with you bringing maybe one bottle in. But in general, life's too short to pick fights about stuff right, like this. Right. You're at a winery. They, they make more than one kind of wine. Just drink the wine they have. It's a picnic. If it were your granddaughter's 21st birthday and a big celebration, then you want to pick all the wines. But this is a picnic. Just drink the wine from the winery. That's yeah, my advice. Yeah, and they're letting you use your grounds, and you're there, absolutely. and you like the place, and why not? And, you yep. know, it's it's absolutely—there are—you're right. There are a couple of places, especially places that have, like, their own deli or their, oh, their, yeah. their generally. There's a few of them that will say absolutely no food or wine or water or— right. Air, you have to you have to breathe your own air. Well, but you know, I mean, the problem is some of these places are so beautiful that if they didn't have rules like that, people would drive up in their RV and right. stay for a week. Right, right, right. So yeah. yeah, and fair enough. I mean, they have to maintain the place, and and you yep. know, you're there to have a good time. Why you know, get a, you're going to drink somebody's wine? Why not the people that let right. you use your picnic ground? That's so, right. so Virginia, you know, it's like don't they, we tend not to make people tend not to make a big deal out of it, but um, I'm more worried about the fact that he didn't listen. Yeah, and, and I'm more worried about the fact that she said as usual. As usual, yes. that's right. He didn't listen so, as usual. I tell yeah. your tell your friend maybe she she or he can do better. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah. Unless of course that person really did have good wine, but that's another. All right, this one is from Jessica in Napa. We were in a very nice winery in the valley. That's what they call it if you live in Napa in the valley. My girlfriend from New York was with us. A guy next to us was spitting into the dump bucket, and my girlfriend was grossed out. I told her that it was kind of a cool thing, but she wasn't happy. And the guy was kind of loud. What's the etiquette? Well, he's right. You know, and and the the better you are at spitting, actually, you can get further and further away from the spit bucket. Just don't ever miss. Yeah. But— um, spitting in a tasting room is something that winemakers do. It's something that wine critics do. It's something that Rick and Paul do. So if you're going to get grossed out by that, well, you, you mm. know, you were winning the argument until you brought up the point that we do it. <laughs> we do it. Yeah, but Rick, you've been in wineries where they literally spit on the floor. Oh yeah. 
Oh, yeah. Because yeah. in a production winery, the floor is like the floor in a hospital. First of all, it's really clean. And second of all, if it gets dirty, they hose it down. Yeah. And so the winemaker will be in there doing a barrel tasting. Everybody smells the wine, and then they pour it into the drain right there in yeah, the middle of the floor. Yeah, and they're aiming for the grate, but they're, they're you know. They're, Not necessarily they're, hitting it. They're, they're getting it all over it. those yeah. pretty shoes you wear. Yeah, that's why I, that's why I wear dark colors. That's well, right. and it, So, yeah, so Jessica, you know, it is, you, you, you sort of need to maybe warn your friend, you know, but... Uh, but it is it is it's the rule it is one of the better rules of the game because yes. as you said people end up staying so I, I do have a solution if they were grossed out because he was kind of loud as he was spitting into the spit bucket move further from the spit bucket yeah yeah no move a little further down move down to the end of the bar where they put Rick you should be fine yes and i i spit quietly there you go so yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right this last one comes from Robert Boyd in Tahoe City is there a difference between Syrah and Shiraz? And is Petite Syrah related to one of them? Wow. Yeah, that's a good that's one. A, he, yeah. You know, I'm worried here, Rick, because that actually that's actually a question that requires some knowledge and some wisdom and some background in the world of wine. And he asked us. And he asked us. Yeah. Robert, yeah. well, well, we'll make this. First of all, we can do the easy one easily, Yes. which is Syrah and Shiraz. Same same wine. Same. It's just Australian versus U.S. It, there could be a stylistic difference based on how Australia makes their wine and right. the, and whether it's North America or, or Europe, right. but it is the same grape. It is the same grape. And in general, in California, if you call it Shiraz, and there are some wineries yes. in California who call it Shiraz, it's because they're making it in that Aussie style. And if they call it Syrah, they're not. So that's the difference between Shiraz and Syrah, which is basically kind of style based on Shiraz was made popular by the Australians and Syrah not. And then you got Petite Syrah, which comes from the same region of France as Syrah does, but that's really the only connection. Yeah. and It's a it's, different grape. Yeah, and outside of the Americas, they actually call it Durif. So it, yes, they it's, do. So it's something. It's awesome. yeah. All right, that is it for questions. It's not smaller than Syrah. It is either. not. The, the grapes are uh, are smaller. Yeah, they, what, they're petite, small, but, but it's not. It's it's not smaller Syrah. Yeah, it is yeah. just a different wine entirely. entirely. Okay, we uh, will be back in a moment. If you'd like to ask us a question, go to rickandpaulwine.com, all one word. Back momentarily, very quickly, and we'll have some very bad wine writing for you. Oh boy. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. There we go again. Happy music for some <laughs> sad writing. Is Rick is. is doing his chair dance again. Yeah, but the writing is kind of sad. It's a time for really horrible wine writing. So, Paul, what did you bring in today? Well, you know, the two words that I think are, you know, I always laugh when people describe wines in terms of being like people. Yes. And the, the, the words that, that we got this week are a wine that is authoritative. Ah, yes. Now, that to me, that makes it sound like I'm having dinner with my father when I was about maybe nine and learning table manners. Yeah. I don't yeah. want that wine at my table. If that table's going to act like my dad, I don't want that wine at <laughs> my table. I don't want to be lectured. lectured by my wine. I don't want to be lectured. I don't want an authoritative wine. I just want one that tastes good. And, of course, then there is the cousin of authoritative, which is the wine that is confident. Ah, yes. Confident. Stands up proudly in the glass. Yes, brags a little bit, I As imagine. opposed to yeah. those wines that slink around the edges yeah. of the I glass. I know those wines. Yeah. Do you? You yeah. have a lot of those? They hang out with me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Gosh, I just... Can't we just say it's good and bad and, yeah, cherries and plums, but 
We don't need the authoritative and confident quite so much. All right. Well, mine is uh, mine's one of those ones where there's just too many extra words. Earthiness, undergrowth, and juicy wild strawberries tinged with wet oak leaf dominates the nose and palate. This exemplary wine, it's exquisitely silky and profound on the palate with fleeting gossamer tannins. It goes on. It's the, it's the standard. I like wild strawberries. I don't know how they taste any more any differently from regular strawberries. Well, they dance a little bit in your mouth. Okay. And wet oak leaf. Wet oak leaf, uh, yes. Yeah. yeah, I don't know what a wet yeah. oak well, leaf. Well, I, I I actually like undergrowth because that sounds like someone should shave more often. Yes, yes, undergrowth. It's it's you know somebody's got their foot caught in there. That's what that is. <laughs> Although uh, th- th- I am going to tell you something. I think I know what kind of wine this was. With all of those crazy descriptors and everything, I think this is a Pinot Noir. It is. See, it is. It so is. I'm going to give this writer some credit. Yeah. That with all those crazy words, he did communicate to me that it was Pinot Noir. Yeah, not what it tasted like, but at least he knew what the wine was. Okay, you're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Don't forget, you can find us on iTunes and subscribe for free. We will be back with CEO uh, of St. Soupy Winery, Emma Swain, when we come right back. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Yeah, we're back traveling through time. It's time for our historic <laughs> history moment of the week. we got to pay those trumpet guys we more do. money. We do. Those guys are good. i got to give them credit. Yeah. Um, so my history moment goes back to one of the fathers of viticulture in America, and he's also one of the fathers of our country. Wrote, among other things, much of the Declaration of Independence. That's Thomas Jefferson, a huge wine fan. How huge a wine fan was he, Rick? He was such a huge wine fan that when he saw the plans for the construction of the White House, he delayed the construction for more than a year because he insisted that the architect needed to make more room for a bigger wine cellar in the White House because it ought to be jam-packed with great by the way, French wine. Yeah, that's how I am when we were building my house. I We needed another f- floor. For, you and Thomas Jefferson. Yes, yes that's exactly, exactly right. <laughs> yeah. And he eventually stored something like 20,000 bottles. Oh, there, he, had, right? he had a huge, huge collection. And he not only stored the wines, but he served as the sommelier for Washington. And he recommended wines to some of the other founding fathers. So he was kind of their supplier. Which brings up my history moment, because he was not only America's first real wine collector, he is by all evidence also a America's first wine bore. <laughs> his friend John Quincy Adams wrote in his diary after dining with Jefferson in 1807, there was, as usual, a dissertation upon wines. Not very edifying. <laughs> <laughs> and that was when Jefferson was president, 1807, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. So even then. You know, there's an old joke in Virginia, and I think it probably stems back to Jefferson's. How many Virginians does it take to change a light bulb? And the answer is three. One change the bulb and two to talk about how good the old one was. <laughs> you know, uh, what is interesting and what a way to bring this story to the future is that Thomas Jefferson used some of the greatest minds in the world to try to plant and grow grapes and make wine in Virginia and failed miserably. But today, uh, thanks to, to some modern methods and some really smart people, they are making spectacularly good wines in the state of Virginia. Um, That's true. And it is, you know, the every state now, you know, there's hotbeds. When we start to talk about the hotbeds of, you know, Virginia is another one of those places. one of those places Absolutely. where they're making some wonderful wines. Doing some really interesting yep. things. Yep. All right. Well, I'm going to go back a little bit to talking about um, 
you know, wine tasting and traveling. And one of because the things, there are tasting rooms in Virginia. So they, there's they a, have tasting there's, rooms. That's a and you would, if you, you went to a tasting room, one way to get a sense of them is not to just to taste through the wines, but to compare, say, similar wines, a couple of their Chardonnays or their Tokais or whatever they would be Whatever pouring. they're pouring. Yeah. Um, right. And in fact, we talked to Emma Swain, the CEO and very lovely person at St. Super in Napa Valley, what people might do when they do wine tasting. Here's what she had to say. They don't have to feel like they know stuff. And, you know, it's part of learning. It's part of coming up here and exploring wine country. So if you haven't been before, it's great to go somewhere where you can spend a little time in the vineyard first. You know, do a little vineyard tour to start your day. Because you're, you're going to want to start at 10, right? That's when the wineries open. Mm. And you want to have a great experience. So spend some time in the vineyards. Learn about what's going on, what we're doing with cover crops, what's happening with pruning, maybe a little ampelography. Mm -hmm. do something there maybe see the seller and kind of get a background of what's happening in wine because if you spend a little time doing that then you can you do have more knowledge mm -hmm. going forward you know it's and it's funny i i often think that when i watch people tasting wine sometimes it's almost as if they think it's a competition they don't want to be the one to ask the question that shows that they might not know as much as the other people. But the truth is, in my experience, if they're a group of four, all four of them could actually benefit from hearing the real answer to that question. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm really happy to hear you just say, ask the question. Even if you think it's a dumb question, ask the question, because trust me, even if everybody in your group already knows the answer, the group next to you, they're suddenly going to lean over and say, oh, did you hear what they said? And it's part of the show. Well, we had a, a nice group from Florida the other day, and I was sitting outside um, to have lunch with them, and there was one person in the group was a... Um, food and beverage manager and the rest were friends and family yeah. and we sat down to lunch for about an hour and a half and I think I got to eat two bites of food because <laughs> they, one of them started asking questions and then everyone yep. did and we were sitting right out in the vineyard so it was a perfect opportunity to just stand up and go look at the grapevine and talk about things yeah. and then come back and, and do a little bit more and chat about the wines and they had so many questions and it was perfect because we were there for stop right. in Napa Valley so right. they felt you know they just wanted to know so ask yeah. right. and it's a real tribute to your staff that people seem to feel pretty comfortable asking your staff questions because they're having fun they're having fun exactly well, right and, and by the same token I'm sure you would say if you if you just want to taste wine that's okay too you don't need to know all the details of oak treatment if you don't want, right? Absolutely. And, you know, it's fun, but, you know, you forget it as sometimes as soon as you hear it. But you know there was oak. But did you like the wine? Did it? Is it going to go well with what you like to eat? Do you want to have it again? Those are the most important things to know. And, you know, are you... Is there you gonna... a second bottle? Yes. There you go. That's the question. There you go, Paul, just kissing up. Luckily, you're kissing up to somebody nice. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Lovely person. She is. Wonderful winery. She loves come in. Delicious wines. Why would I not want to kiss up to no, her? You, I, I'm with you. As I say, she let us come in and hang around and ask her questions. So, Absolutely. And, and yeah. even gave us answers that were way smarter than anything we came up yeah. with. She is an, a nice person. And it now I'm kissing up. It is a, one of the reasons why uh, St. Supery really is one of the really good places to go to. In tasting. fact, there they is a, a winery that was originally designed with the visitor in mind so that it, yeah. it's actually structured so that you can wander around a little bit more than most wineries. 
yeah. because they want to show yeah, you have a little bit of a tour actually it's, it's a, a walking it's tour yeah. really well done yeah and you know the one of the things that Emma brought up which I think is a really interesting thought and which was sit down now that you don't have to sit down you can stand at the tasting bar there right. but they're tasting they have tastings where you sit down and do some yep. comparisons yep it does change your approach to the wine doesn't it well kind of you know I learned to taste standing up I learned at a winery where we tasted in the lab and there were five or six of us that would gather around the the counter on the lab and so we taste standing up and that to me seems normal and it's actually harder for me at these wine competitions where you have to sit down it's actually to me that's harder to do but it does change the way you think about the wines. And particularly if you're spending a whole day in the valley or, or in the wine region and you're spending a lot of time doing this and that, relax, take a breath. As Emma says, sit down. It allows you to focus maybe a little more on the wine. Whereas if you're standing there, there's you know, worry a little bit about you know, elbow room and how do you lean on the bar and all that. Right. Just sit down, relax, focus on the wine. I have a dear friend who always describes tasting wine as being like a 30-second Sabbath where the world stops yeah. and you just focus on what's well, in the glass. That's a, that's a nice it's way a to put nice... it. And it is, it's actually one of those things about both tasting wine and then going wine tasting, which is that yep. it is an escape. And, you know, yeah. you, you do really get into what you're doing and you sort of forget about the fact that when you get back, you got work to do and somebody That's has right. to mow the lawn and all That's that other exactly stuff. exactly right. And the other part about that that I like is that uh, when you do sit down, you've, you're really in the moment. It sort of forces <laughs> you to <laughs> just be there. You're not looking for the exits. Um, usually they're look the, to get me into the exits. to get you out but of the But when I sit down, it's harder for them to toss me out. <laughs> and so I I do like that. And I think it's um, and it's interesting. I'm like you. When I'm working and I'm tasting at home, I never sit down. <laughs> you know, it's almost instinct. Because you're working. I'm putting the line wines on the counter. i got my notepad. I'm but sitting But that there, may make our I'm, point, which means yeah. by the time we sit down, it's relaxed time. It's yeah. a different feeling. Yeah. Yep. All right. So there you go. I say sit. Sit. Yes. Well, uh, <laughs> speaking of sitting, I think we're going to go straight back to our question bag. Um, you're listening to Ball Talk with Rick and Paul. If you'd like to ask us a question, you can go to rickandpaulwine.com, all one word. And you can also find us on iTunes. It's really easy to do that. And you subscribe for free one little click. If click. you send us a question, we'll make you famous. We will we'll put, put your you name on, on the air. We'll, put you, we'll say your name out loud on the air. Uh, all right. So this one is from Stephen Moss in Lodi. Everybody who sees Stephen Moss that's here this say, I heard you on Rick and Paul. Both of you who heard this. <laughs> Drive to Lodi if you don't live there. Stephen says, we go tasting a lot. We took a tour a few weeks ago. There was one guy who wouldn't shut up. Rick, were you on this tour? I, I was on a different one. It could have been me on that one, too. <laughs> he kept asking about tiny details just to show he knew what things were. Yep. And he kept talking over the guide. We know that guy. We saw him later in another place lecturing everyone at the tasting bar. What do you do with a jerk like that? I think you give him a podcast. <laughs> well, that's what happened in this case. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, Rick, you teach, I teach, and there is always that person who asks the question not because they want to know right. the answer, but right. because they want you to know how smart they are that they know how to ask the question. And that's really, it's a difficult thing. In a classroom setting, when you're the teacher, you can come down on that person a little bit. You know, you can structure the class and say, look, we're here so that everybody learns something. But in a tourist facility where you're supposed to be making sure everybody has a good time, it's a much more difficult thing for a tour guide, for example, or a tasting room host to manage this kind of person. And the only thing I can suggest is either encourage that guy to go down to the end of the bar where Rick's tasting 
or you. No, you, don't send him me. Send him the other end of the bar. You go down to the yeah. end of the bar and leave this guy in the middle. Yeah. It's unfortunate. There are people like this. If you were swirling your red wine behind him and someone jogged your elbow and splattered his entire back with wine, that would be a terrible yeah, accident. Yeah, that's not a bad approach. If you spill your wine on him, the guy's got to go do something about it. Yeah, there's many, many ways to go at him. <laughs> you can trip him, I think. You trip know, him. Yeah, actually, put your... You know, the, the problem is, and it is just one of those unfortunate things, it's just as another patron there on the tour, there's almost nothing you can do. That's right. However, it is if it is somebody in your group, tell them to shut the heck up. If they're in your group, yes. And if they're not in your group, another technique would be to go directly behind them as, as a group and then giggle surreptitiously as yes. he's talking. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Or as a group, all say, hey, you, shut, shut up. up. <laughs> that takes a little organization. Yes. We see you're an expert. Now shut up so we can learn something. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Yes. All right. This next one is from Janice Kramer in Elk Grove. Mm-hmm. This is not about tasting in particular, but in general, does it matter what kind of glass I use? And, and here we go. This is a great question because, Rick... Yes, no, yes, no, depends. Well, there are how many different kinds of wine glasses? I mean, what is it? Well, Riedel, way more than Riedel it makes, needs to be. Yeah. Riedel makes, you know, 140 glasses for the 140 different kinds of wine. When you go to a winery, Rick... How many different glasses do they use to pour you the wine? Yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, they're the professionals. They know what they're doing. You go to visit Emma Swain at at St. Supery Winery. They make everything from Sauvignon Blanc to Cabernet. And what do they put it in? They put it in a nice, simple, what, maybe an 8 or 10-ounce wine glass, and it tastes just fine. Actually, the real thing, and and not to pick on Riedel, because Riedel makes some beautiful glassware, but Riedel has— We're still hoping for sponsor money from Riedel. Uh, Yes, so I shouldn't say this then. Uh, (laughs) But among the things that they do to describe— their, the reasons why some glasses work better for one wines and another is that it spills past the salty piece of your tongue and gets to your... They're still working off of the tongue map, which we have mentioned in the past. Is obsolete. It does not exist. That's right. And, and I, the, the tongue map is pointing the wrong direction. This tongue map, according to Hildegard Heyman, the, we, I bring this up a lot because I love her quote. You She's love her the, name. She, I do. She's the head of sensory evaluation at UC Davis and one of the top uh, sensory evaluation scientists on the planet, says her description of the tongue map, total crap. Total crap. Yeah, that's it, that's it, the official UC official Davis UC position Davis. Yeah, on the crap. tongue map. So, so a couple of thoughts here. Those Number kinds one, of glasses, no. When we're judging wine competitions, we use one glass for all the different kinds of wine. Most wines. of which, if I'm running the competition, are total crap. <laughs> but, uh, when we are doing tastings at wineries, most of the time we're using one glass, yeah. one kind of glass all the time. Now, is it fun to sit down at a dinner table with a couple of different shapes of glasses and a they couple do of different— They change the taste. Sure, it's fun. And in basic terms, when you want to give a wine more air, when you want to have it become more aromatic than it already is, it helps to have a big glass so you can swirl it around. And if it's big enough and you swirl it around enough, you can spray it all over the back of that guy who's talking there too you much. Go. You know, I did a, a glass comparison once at uh, Franciscan. We came in knowing that we were going to do a glass comparison. There was like four of us. Yeah. And they had uh, six whites, no, five whites and six reds poured in all different glasses from large Bordeaux, those just the big tall glasses right. to the sort of the round bowls, which is a Pinot glass, to right. these little bitty glasses that you find in a crummy motel that you can't break with a with your shoe. The ones you have at your house. Yes. Well, I so they don't break them. Um, <laughs> and, you know, but in any case, so we know they're messing with us. And we still right. thought, okay, so there weren't five. Chardonnays. They that this you know they make two in particular. Right. We thought one was the Cuvée Sauvage, one was the regular Chardonnay. Right. And then we tasted the Reds, and we thought you know well one was uh, the Merlot, one was the Cab. Yeah. We thought there was maybe two, yeah. maybe three. Yeah. 
the whites all the same, reds all the same. Yeah, and, and they so, taste completely different they, in each glass. Yeah, and you yeah. know, and so so there is a difference. Yeah, um, but Rick, I'm going to tell but you, you can do. Is it worth fighting about or, or worrying well, about? You can do another exam, which is you can, as you know, you can pour people the same wine in the same glass. And ask them to taste it, and they will tell. Ask them to tell you what's different between one and the other, and they will tell you. Yeah, because wines taste different every time we go back to them. Can a man ever put his foot in the same river twice? And the answer is, wait. This is a, this is a philosophy show. I can't handle that. Can I? Can I say, yeah. Well, that's a, but he can put his foot in the same wine glass twice if it's large enough. Which is also kind of one of the answers, and I, I don't remember— to put who, your foot in the glass? Yeah. <laughs> you put your foot in the mouth. That's yeah. a different thing but entirely. Actually, I heard this, and I like this answer. When in doubt, get the big glass because it's fun. Well, see, I've eaten at an Italian restaurant where the size of the glass depended on how expensive the bottle was. Uh-huh. So you ordered the house red wine, and you got those little cheap, you know, Libby four-ounce glasses. But if you ordered— as the Russian guy did at the table next to us, who was with his 22-year-old, I guess he was her, his daughter. Um, sure he was. Sure, sure he was. Yeah. He ordered some $300 bottle of Amarone, and they gave him a couple of glasses that looked like fish bowls on stems. Yeah. Yeah. We were somewhere in the middle. Yeah, so uh, Janice, I don't know how far we're getting along. The answer is, yeah, glasses do have some impact, but it's not, not so much that it's worth worrying over and— and really get a glass that you're comfortable with. You know, there's the sort of the sort of you've seen the shape, slightly bowl shaped, you know, or slightly pear shaped, almost not not too big a bowl, not too tulip. big an opening as yeah, tulip shaped is a pretty standard, and it'll handle most wines. And and Janice did not ask this question, which was, do I need more than one glass? Because if she had asked that question. We would have said no. Well, if you have a couple of people over, you need at least one glass per person. Well, one for her, and yeah. the rest yeah. of other people drink That's out of a paper true. cup. But yeah, but you, you, if you get a glass, you, it's not necessary. It's fun to have them, not necessary. Yeah. 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 Um, okay, we have one more, uh, and this we've actually already sort of talked about. This, this is uh, from Deborah. Rowe. We don't know what town Deborah is in. Deborah should. Have told She's us. trying to stay a little bit anonymous. Well, you know, doesn't uh, want to become. Cannot blame you. Yeah. She says, "Can I move to a different place in the tasting room after I get started?" Well, certainly if there's the annoying, boring guy who's loud, you can move. You yes, can, of you course can. you can. You can move. It helps if you let the staff know that's what you're doing because a lot of times the staff, they do try to track where people are in various tasting orders. A lot of tasting rooms will have a, sp- a specific order of wines or they'll have a couple of different selections. And they will kind of want either you need to keep track of it or you need to let them know where you're going so as they're keeping track of it, they can keep you on track. Yeah, um, and even if you don't move sometimes on a busy day, they'll um, ask you. They'll ask you where, where you were. What was the last wine you right. had? And right. you'll look at them and say, I don't know, it's the seventh glass I've had this today, and I can't remember. I think it was a red wine. Yeah, but you know, it, it takes, uh, we were, um, wine tastes differently, actually, on all, for all kinds of things that affect wine. The, 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 color of the room, the light, the The, the music mood, they're playing. The music they're playing, yeah. The body odor of the person next yeah, to that you. That one does affect the one. Uh, so, yeah, there's nothing wrong with it at all. But it, it is a nice thing to say we're, we're going to move down there. We're going to move down there where this Rick and Paul are over quiet. here, and <laughs> frankly, right. we just we got to get away from those two guys. It's, we, 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 it's not the first time we would heard that sort of thing. So That's right. Um, all right. We are zipping up the mailbag. We are moving on. We're going to have some food and wine pairings for those of you who are going picnicking when we come right back. If you'd like to ask us a question about... Wine, or really anything, will mangle philosophy. it. We'll ma- philosophy. Philosophy. Can you put your foot into the river? Again. Anyway, <laughs> go to rickandpaulwine.com. All one word. We'll be right back. 
listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. You know, we were talking about uh, going wine tasting and uh, picnics and all those sort mm-hmm. of fun mm-hmm. things about wine. So I thought uh, we, we would do sort of sandwiches and some of those foods that go. Now, the thing is, of course, this is this is a little bit of a, of a exercise and, I don't know, uselessness, because if you're going wine tasting, you're t- This is the Rick and Paul show, is it not? All right, so then it is what we always do. It's what we always yes. do, an exercise and uselessness. Yes, exercise and uselessness. But, um, but we're going to talk about some of the pairings anyway. And then you can decide when you go to the wine, the bar or the winery what wine to get. Yeah. Um, and uh, because I, you know, because I'm that guy and I'm always looking at my little studies and my surveys. And uh, I looked at uh, from Marca, Market Researchers Data Central. They, they actually, what they do is they compare restaurant menus and restaurant sales and, and, right. and food sales. Yep. And I, I found the most popular sandwiches in America. Okay. Um, which, I was surprised to see that PB&J was not on the list. PB&J actually is on the list. It is um, – we have five. PB&J is in the top five. Is it? Yeah. Um, and which wine did they recommend that you serve yes, with milk. PB&J? They, they, milk. They, they, the fermented milk. <laughs> fermented cow juice. Yes. yes. Um, uh-huh. But, uh, <laughs> yes, we – so we didn't put so – these, but these are, these are five of the ten most popular, and actually um, four of them are in the top five. And PB&J okay. is the other one. Um, okay. So let's start with turkey, which okay. actually is number one. Well, I'm going to answer for all of these sandwiches except one. Is the same? You're going with the same wine? Basically. And it's not okay. the same wine. What I'm going to say is you're having a picnic. You don't want anything that's going to be too big and rich and heavy because it's a picnic. And when you spill it on on Rick's blue gingham gown, it will make a horrible mess if you're using one of these big, heavy red wines. So you want something relatively light, um, but I still think red wine because with sandwiches, you may be having some other stuff, some olives and some artichoke hearts and maybe a few dolmas or something else. So I go for a light, fresh red wine. Could be a Barbera. uh, Could be a lighter style of Zinfandel. Could be a Pinot Noir. Could be a Gamay, Dolcetto, any of those sorts of light, fresh. And you know what they're called in the restaurant business? They're called Picnic wines. Yeah, that's true. There's a reason. That's true. That's true. Um, however, I do want to. I'm still gonna. Uh, if you're gonna pick one or two for each of these, uh, so that the turkey, turkey, like, yeah, because I, because I, I would, uh, I would, I would go with the white with the turkey sandwich. You would. Yeah. Well, it depends on whether you're using what's on the, in there. Yeah. yeah, of course. Because is it a turkey sandwich that's got grilled vegetables and a little cranberry? No, because we have a grilled vegetable sandwich later. Okay. And does it have mayonnaise and mustard? It's your standard turkey. Is sandwich. it is it Poupon mustard or is it's, it French's? No, no, it's a French's. French's. Yeah, it's, it's a standard American sandwich. <laughs> Don't make this complicated. White bread? We? <laughs> now we're going with wheat, maybe toasted. <laughs> Iceberg or romaine? <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm just going to say Sauvignon Blanc and turkey is a good combination. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Paul can worry this one to death. Uh, ham is another one. If a uh, ham sandwich, if it doesn't get indicted by a grand jury, I don't know if you know that joke. The grand jury will indict anything, including ham sandwich. That's right. Um, and 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 ham because it's salty. All of those picnic wines that you just mentioned are, are perfect. Great. For that. Absolutely yes. perfect. Now, now, are we talking prosciutto ham or are we talking 
Are we're we talking, ta- you know, the basic American ham sandwich. The ones that always is always getting indicted by grand juries. That's that's the one. The one that police detectives are eating in the squad car yes. while they're on. Yeah. on the, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, and that is actually, by the way, that is a, that is a sandwich that goes with so many things because of the salt. Well, both ham and turkey are meats that you yep. can match with just a huge range of of wines because they have some flavor, but they're not too heavy and they don't have a lot of fat. Yeah. All right, a next one, and this is one that I actually have a very strong opinion on. You're probably going to disagree with, but it wouldn't be the first time, which is salami and cheese or salami, salami sandwich. Salami. Okay, I'm going with Chianti Classico. I'm going with Cabernet. Oh, my You know, I have had a, a lovely Cabernet salami, you know, the fatty salami and, ca- and Cabernet. I know you're going to argue that the spice is a little too much. No, um, I'm going to argue, es salami. Yeah, well, es salami, Italian, es formaggio, right, e vino right. italiano. Yeah, no, and I couldn't disagree with that, actually. <laughs> Mostly because I didn't understand it. But <laughs> if, if I did, I would have. No, I, but I'm telling you, it is one of you know, one of those little magic pairings. Sometimes it just slices a salami and, and, a, and a not huge cab. A really nice yeah. combination. Uh, I'm too. going for a Chianti, Dolcetto, Barbera, nice Italian yeah. wine, nice Italian salami, nice Italian yeah. cheese. Yeah. Beautiful thing. Well, well argued. I still reject it. <laughs> <laughs> chicken salad. And chicken salad is another really popular sandwich. Yes. And it's and it's actually really good on the picnic. Um, you know, it's uh, I'll, I'll have the chicken salad with a little bit of the pickle in there for you, just if you're asking, since you were asking yeah, these I can kinds see, of I, I'm going to go chicken salad without much pickle and no and no mustard. Okay. This is the one sandwich that I wouldn't drink the red wine with yeah. because of the mayonnaise. This is actually a little sweet, and I would go with something light and fruity and white. I'm going Chenin Blanc, Riesling, Gewürztraminer. I like all of those. And I will also argue uh, a Chardonnay will go totally fine with that. Uh-huh. As yeah, long as yeah. it doesn't have so much oak that it, it's too yeah. heavy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's it for another round of picnicking with Rick and Paul. <laughs> I'm sorry. Bob <laughs> Picking fights. Paul. Yeah. Our engineer is Matt Bassini. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, Matt. Thanks to Capital Public Radio for the studio use. If you'd like to ask us a question that we can answer on the show, go to rickandpaulwine.com, all one word, Rick and Paul Wine. Look for us on iTunes. Subscribe for free. Please, please, please. It's easy. Just one little click. And if you learned anything today, we hope it's this. If you listen to us, we can enhance your fun. That's us. We're the fun enhancers. (laughs) I'm Rick Cushman. I'm Paul Wagner. And remember, the best wines you drink are with friends. Or with us. Especially with us on a picnic.